coming up on the Orthopreneur Podcast. But if he isn't in the scene, it'll either be told from the point of view of another character like a police officer, or it'll be villain, victim, or who is having their world screwed up in the scene. Welcome to the Orthopreneur Podcast. I'm your host, mystery author, Amelia D. Hay. On this podcast, I will bring you writing, book marketing, and self-publishing advice so that you can create your dream author business, build your author platform, and be creatively independent. You can find the episode show notes and lots more information on the podcast page at orthopreneurpodcast.com forward slash podcast. Hello writers, welcome to the second instalment of my mini-series on how I outline a novel. For those of you who are unaware, in the first episode I discuss how I go from fleshing out a story idea to a basic outline. In this episode, I want to focus on sharing the steps in my outlining process that help me to create a structurally sound story with scenes that actively move the story forward. If you haven't listened to episode TAP034, I highly recommend you pause here, then go back and listen to that. It's these steps in my outlining process that push it to the limits of being a zero draft as opposed to just an outline. Before I dive into my outlining process, here's what you need to know. I write in scenes, not chapters. Division into chapters happens after the outlining phase. And I picked up this habit in terms of a scene, writing scenes from screenwriting. So my definition is a scene is a unit of story that takes place in a specific location and time. If one of these things changes, you have a new scene. And coincidentally, I'm going to devote an entire episode to that later on in this season. I write murder mysteries with more than one POV character. My process takes a lot of work and is really an extensive outline or zero draft. You don't have to follow my process exactly. Feel free to pick out and choose aspects that may work for you. A lot of what I do is because I write in the mystery genre. This process has evolved over the course of writing five fiction works in the mystery genre and usually takes 32 hours over a 15-day period to complete. And those 15 days aren't necessarily considered consecutive 15 days because I've realized how that sounds and sometimes in those 15 days I will only work on the book for like an hour or two or 30 minutes actually I think maybe the shortest one has just been just under an hour and I documented that because I was curious because I wanted to know how long do I actually spend doing these things and I'm wondering if over time I'm going to get quicker at outlining or not I guess we'll see how it goes I guess Before we get into the content, if you're interested in reading the transcript or would like links to anything that I've mentioned in the show, then check out the very long blog post or edited transcript at orthopreneurpodcast.com forward slash TAP035. For those of you who are new to the podcast, I want to say a huge thank you for stopping by and trying out my show. To those of you who have been faithfully listening, thank you for regularly listening in and supporting me. Your support means more to me than you know. Step number seven is flesh out the scenes in between the plot points. Some people can leave the outlining here. For me, if I just flesh out the plot points of the story, I then have this massive anxious moment or I panic because I don't know what happens between the plot points. For some reason, if I start outlining, I need to outline everything. It's just who I am. For some reason, I need all of this detail and I don't have this 
the space to figure out why with you right here. If this is enough for you to start the story and you're happy, then by all means go for it. Don't keep going if you don't need all of this extra detail, but I do. So I need to figure out how the story progresses between these plot points. Because my story's focus is on figuring out the whodunit aspect of a murder, these scenes are usually investigations. And occasionally I have scenes from the point of view of the villain for more complicated stories. So in a novella, you're probably not, I don't have too many scenes in a novella from the point of view of the villain. Sometimes I will share scenes from the point of view of the police, just showing the reader, this is what the police know, because I've noticed in past books, if I don't do that, people think the police is stupid. And I don't like people saying that about my characters. It really hurts. But usually Usually it's mostly James, the police, and the occasional suspect, especially if it's important, like it's someone else discovers the body, then that person will obviously have its have their own point of view seen, especially if it's not James. Sometimes James will discover the crime scene, but there's no body there and someone else will discover the body. And if someone else discovers the body other than James, they will get their own scene. And obviously the victim has their own point of view, but outside of that, there's no scenes from the point of view of the villain. I don't do that in a novella because I don't feel like there's enough space for that. And usually a novella for me only has 30 scenes, so it's quite small in terms of scope. But a more complicated novel will have scenes from the villain's point of view, their henchmen, obviously, as they're caught. And usually this is when I flesh flesh out these particular scenes. But if I discover that I need a scene as I'm creating those two-dimensional character profiles that I create earlier in this process, I will add them in then. I won't just wait until this particular part. I don't follow these steps chronologically. But for the sake of me explaining this, it's easy for me to explain it in a step-by-step process, but I don't actually do this to the letter in real life. So over on the blog post, I'll share a screenshot of the spreadsheet just so you can get a better idea of it. I am actually considering creating a mini course explaining exactly how I do this with a copy of the Excel spreadsheet that I have that I use because if I just hand out the Excel spreadsheet, people are going to just, the people that download it are going to freak out because it's, it's a lot of information and I'm aware that it's a lot. Because I've had people comment like, wow, you're really organized, etc. Your outlining process is, is extremely intricate. And the vibe I get from these people is that it's overwhelming. So I'm considering um, creating like a mini course for a very low price. Just so you, you're not just having a spreadsheet and walking away. It's more of a, I sort of hold your hand through the process of using the spreadsheet, if that makes sense but I've, I haven't created that yet. But if you're interested, let me know. I think I'll probably price it at like under 39 pounds. Sorry, US dollars, 39 US dollars, like something really tiny. Because I think it's obnoxious charging a high price for a course. It's just, you get it. It's, I think it's obnoxious. So 
So step number eight is I start fleshing out the character profiles for the supporting cast. After the basic outline is complete, I I create profiles for the supporting cast and any tertiary characters. Like I do get comments that I have a lot of characters in books, but it's not always possible for me to combine characters together, like I'm told in my reviews, but I don't necessarily agree because I'm trying to create a real world. And sometimes in life, you come across people once and I sort of feel like this is, I don't agree, obviously. So I don't take on board that advice, but I do have a lot of tertiary characters. So tertiary characters are one-time appearance characters that that are necessary because the world needs to have people in it. And those people need to be real, but they can't be the same people. Like one particular character can't work for the police and then suddenly appear somewhere else. Like I've got a character who's in the bookshop browsing. It would be weird if this character also worked at the police station and when you got characters in a police station I can't just give a particular police officer five different roles because this isn't realistic what this results in is tertiary characters but if I have multiple crime scenes in the same book I will make sure that these particular characters reappear in the next crime scene so they're not doubled up in that way but because he goes from multiple locations he's going to meet various different people and it's just the nature of how he does investigations and this particular series. So there is a lot of tertiary characters, but if you're writing in a different genre like romance, you probably won't have this problem. But I create character profiles for the supporting cast and the tertiary characters. So in Scrivener, I don't actually use the character profile template. Instead, I will use a blank template I don't write down their back history of each character or anything obnoxious like that. It's usually information that's relevant for me to remember for the future, especially if they reappear in different scenes. I'll take notes based on what James notices about them when he first sees them. So that's type of height, eye colour, etc. For me, height's a big thing because James Lund is quite tall, so I need to remind myself this is what he sees from his eye level. So is he looking, does he actually have to naturally look down at this person or is he by chance looking up at this person? So I need to know their sort of height, their build, especially if he has a physical confrontation with somebody I need to know how he's going to feel if this person pushes him because he's quite tall and lanky so I take note of those things I don't always reference clothes because I don't I think this might be indicative of my personality but I don't go around noticing what people wear or critique what people wear because for me it's an irrelevant detail and it's not something that's important but I'm starting to add that information in because for some people this is important and the reason why I make a note of what James notices about the character is because I'm trying not to create that mirror effect where it looks like James is noticing everything about the character because all the because most of the scenes are from his point of view and it stops me from painting like this clear intricate unrealistic picture of somebody I hope or it stops me from creating character descriptions that are like an info dump where they're just a list of features and at this stage sometimes I will go and cast the characters in the book with actors because sometimes it is easier to look at a picture and sort of think okay what do I notice what jumps out at me about that person and usually that that, that'll be the thing that James notices because it's easier but I usually don't like to spend too much time on this sometimes it does take me a couple of hours to look for actors and I have to look for 
actors that are a certain age because I like to have a mixture of young, middle-aged and older people in my stories. So I have to find characters, sorry, actors who are that age or could play the age. If you've heard something useful in this episode that was helpful to you and you'd like to support the show, then buy me a coffee for as little as two US dollars at buymeacoffee.com forward slash author Hay. So step number nine is choose the point of view character. So in a column all on its own for every single scene in the story, I will choose the point of view character. And that is the character that's obviously that I'm viewing the world from in the scenes. Everything is filtered through this character. So depending on the type of story that I'm writing, again, most of my scenes are going to be from the point of view of the series character. So my series character, I've got two series and it's both James Lond. It's just him at different points in his life so basically if James is in I have a rule that if James is in the scene the scene will be told from his point of view but if he isn't in the scene it'll either be told from the point of view of a character another character like a police officer or it'll be villain victim or who has the most to lose in the scene who is having their world screwed up in the scene I will choose that particular character but I don't have too many other characters that have point of view scenes because and if I do choose a character with a point of view scene I will try and tell the story tell and show another scene from that character's point of view especially if they are a part of the villain's team and things like that unless the story moment is a pivotal story moment like it's at the beginning of the story and it's someone discovering the body and it's someone who isn't James and usually if I do that there's usually something important about the discovery of the body that I need to show before James sees it Step number 10 is to define the turning points for each scene. So when you think of turning points, I think of it as the scene starts off this way and it ends this way. And I have two columns for this, one column for the turning point at the start of the scene and a second column for the turning point at the end of the scene. And I get this technique from... Robert McGee and he's written a I think the book is just called story and it's about screenwriting yes it's called yeah it's just called story substance structure style and the principles of screenwriting and it's by Robert McKee and it's written quite a while ago in 1999 July 1999 it was published it was first published and it's it's a great resource and I have read it when I started screenwriting I can't actually I got his book on dialogue oh no I've got story here it is actually here it's just covered by my tumbler of pens there's also another thing called the story grid by sean coin and i can't follow his technique for me it's i know what i do is really intricate but i find his thing really confusing and i've worked out that he calls this value shifts and i think he does get this from robert mckee's turning points so the turning points occur at the start and the end of the scene and they're sometimes called value shifts and these shifts relate to the point of view character so at the start of the scene the characters are experiencing this or they're feeling this and at the end of the scene they feel or experience things in a different way. Sometimes these shifts can go from all these turning points can go from positive to negative, negative to positive, negative to double negative. I'm a sadist and I rarely use this with James, but 
it can end on a double positive. So it starts off positive and gets even better. But because that's a murder mystery and it's an investigation, it doesn't really serve me to have for James to go from positive to a root to a double positive because it's I don't know I just don't like it it says a lot about me and what these turning points or value shifts do is they help you to create scenes that push the story forward because if there's something shifting in the scene then there's something happening in the scene and therefore you're not doing something indulgent and just having a scene that you like that doesn't serve a purpose Step number 11 is define the conflict and stakes for each scene. With the conflict and stakes, I have these listed in separate columns for each scene. So there's one column in my spreadsheet for stakes and one for the conflict. With stakes, it's a little bit easier. So it's what is at stake for the character for this scene. So when the character is in a scene, they, they're doing something for a reason. It's They have a goal. So if they don't fulfill this goal, what's at stake for them? It doesn't have to be life and death stakes at every in every scene. Some Sometimes the stakes can gradually build. Sometimes those stakes are just purely personal. Sometimes they are life and death. Sometimes they can be professional. But really, I sort of think of stakes in terms of if James doesn't get what he wants from this, what's what's on the table for him? What's either won or lost in the scene? So in one particular scene where in The Candidate, James Anwar takes James to the crime scene because he wants to see how he reacts to the body. He wants to see if he gives away something that only the murderer will know because he sort of thinks this is the quickest way for me to figure out whether he's actually murdered somebody and is just a great actor or if he's legitimately discovered a crime scene. So it's not orthodox, but it's quite unorthodox for a police officer to do this, but Anwar sort of thinks this is the easiest way to either keep him as a suspect or eliminate him as a suspect. And James does something in this scene and what's at stake for him is his professional standing with the police. He sort of feels that if he doesn't keep his shit together in this scene, the police are going to look at him in a certain way. They're going to either become, they're going to become more suspicious or, you know, he's just going to completely humiliate himself. So that's the stakes. What's at stake for him in those scenes is his personal, I guess his reputation. It's his professional reputation as a journalist and investigator. And one part of it is personal as well. It's the personal, it's someone changing their point of view of you and looking at you under bad light. So that's what's at stake for him in that particular scene. Whereas conflict, you can have many different types of conflict in a scene. So you can have direct opposition. So where another character, whether interferes or prevents the main character from achieving their goal. So the goal they have for the scene. So the next one is inner opposition. So this is where the character is in the scene and they learn something and they change their mind about the goal that they set in the scene. Or they have doubt or they have this internal struggle that prevents them from completing the goal. So either they change their mind, they have this internal struggle. Because James is an amateur sleuth and a lot of the crimes directly affect his life and sometimes 
sometimes his friendships, this internal struggle tends to come into play in these situations because he feels like, you know, I could potentially be ruining my relationships with these people. But at the same time, I want to help make sure that justice is served. So he's got this inner conflict going on in those particular scenes. The next type of conflict is circumstantial difficulties. So if you have a character that's baking a cake and they have no flour, that's conflict. So the next one is active conflict. So this is the most obvious form of conflict. So it's like a physical fight, a verbal argument, disagreement, that kind of thing. So active conflict. The last one is passive conflict. Yep, this is a thing. So it's being ignored, kept in the dark, or being physically avoided by other characters. So because this is a murder mystery, often being kept in the dark or other characters avoiding him is something that happens in the story because it's plausible. And usually when I write the conflict, I will write direct colon and then the actual conflict that occurs, the type of conflict, so either direct, inner, circumstantial, active or passive, and then a colon and then I'll write what the actual conflict is in the scene because I will use this when I actually go and write the scene because it'll remind me oh this is the conflict in the scene and I found a few great articles online by writerswrite.co.za I think that's a South Africa well the blog is writers write and another is the editors blog.net and these two particular articles talk about the types of conflict in the scene and they're really helpful so I'm going to include links to these in the show notes in your favorite podcasting app and over on the blog post I hope this episode gives you a few things to consider as you outline your first or next book. As always, I have a few important questions to ask. How do you outline your novels? Or how are you outlining your first story? I want to hear from you. Come on over to the blog post at authorpreneurpodcast.com forward slash TAP035 and share your progress or struggles with outlining in the comments section. Next week's episode of the Authorpreneur Podcast will be the third and final installment of this mini series on how I outline a novel. Thank you for listening and happy reading and writing everybody thank you for listening to the authorpreneur podcast if you love this episode then hit the subscribe button and leave a review on your favorite podcasting app i'm your host amelia d hay and i'll see you next week for another episode